0: Please grab hold of your Bible readings. Uh, They're in your newsletter. Uh, The first one is from Genesis uh, 15, and Beck will bring that to us, and then Steve will read from 2 Peter chapter 2.
1: Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, What can you give me, since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gigashites, and Jebusites.
0: Second reading's on the other side of your sheet. It's uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. But there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They'll be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beza, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh they entice people who are just escaping and those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning, friends. Is that on? Hello? 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 Good morning? That sounds better. Yeah. Hi. How are you going? I'm Simon. Uh, I am... One of the assistant, I'm the assistant pastor, or one of the assistant pastors now here at church. It's nice to be with you. Um, hang on to that copy of Genesis chapter 15. We're kind of going to briefly have a look at that this morning. But largely we're here to continue our series uh, over January of great men and women of faith. Uh, great men and women of God. Um, I, want to, I want one big idea to stick with you this morning. One big idea that I want you to take away over morning tea, over lunch and perhaps even with you for the rest of your life. Um, I want you to take away this idea this morning. God uses ordinary people, ordinary people. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the kingdom. God uses, and I'm looking at ordinary people, God uses ordinary people, you're looking at one as well, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the kingdom. I think that's what we see with Abraham the great man of God, the great man of faith, we see an ordinary man who does extraordinary things for God and his kingdom and purposes. Uh, To that end, let's pray uh, that God would do extraordinary things amongst us today. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for drawing us to this place to sit under your word. And Father, I ask that today you'd help me to speak faithfully, Help me to speak with power, a power that only comes from you. So by your spirit, help me to speak well. And Lord, with the ears that you have given us and the hearts that you've made within us, please help us to listen and help us to respond to your word with boldness and courage, such that you would take ordinary people like us and do extraordinary things for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, this morning we meet an old friend. Uh, We meet the one that the Apostle Paul calls the father of the whole world. We meet Abraham, the father of the whole world. Um, He's a fairly familiar character to many of us. If you've read your Bible, Abraham pops up quite regularly. Uh, But he's the father of the whole world. Our text this morning basically is the end of Genesis chapter 11 right the way through to the end of Genesis chapter 25. We get introduced to Abraham in Genesis 11, and we have a record of his death in Genesis chapter 25. That's the text we're looking at this morning. I hope you're here. I hope you've brought some supper. We're here for a long time. A lot of chapters. We're going to have a look at this man, Abraham. Just to give you a bit of context, Abraham, we're introduced to him right at the end of Genesis chapter 11. Let me read to you. You might know the Tower of Babel story. The moment when man, humanity, tried to usurp God and become like God. And so they decided to build a tower to reach to the heavens. Uh, I'll read this to you. Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9. It's actually one of the worst moments in human history. Listen to this. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks. Let's bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Here's the comical moment. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. Humanity comes, tries to build a tower to reach God. God comes down in judgment and scatters them. At one, then he scatters them across the face of the earth. And then, speaking into that moment, comes a genealogy. Who here loves genealogies? Genealogies are just lists of names. Who spends their quiet times reading genealogies? Probably not many of us. It's a fantastic genealogy. This genealogy bridges the gap to Genesis chapter 12, The genealogy is basically like this. It's like the camera at the cricket, right? The camera pans across and you just see this sea of faces in the crowd. And the camera sort of comes down and down and down onto one family, the clan of Tirah. And then it focuses beyond that clan onto one man, the face of Abraham. Big crowd, thousands of faces, then focuses in on one man, Abraham. And he is to be the one to whom God shows grace that will then extend to the whole world. Have a read with me, Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. There's a moment of judgment at Babel. Humankind trying to become like God, and God then scatters them and says, that's not going to happen. And then you think, well, that's the end of humanity for all good. And then God speaks to Abraham and shows grace. Through this one man, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. All the nations of the world will be blessed. And that's where we meet Abraham. That's where we meet for the first time, this great man of faith. And I've called tonight's sermon a tale of two realities. Because in the life of Abraham, there are two realities that are operating. And the first reality is a lesser reality, which is Abraham's faith in God. The second reality, which is the greater reality, is a faithful God. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's have a look firstly at this lesser reality. Abraham's pilgrimage begins with this lesser reality. It's his faith in God. That's the lesser reality. Because faith is a response to God. Abraham's life and his pilgrimage, his journey with God, didn't begin with Abraham one morning waking up and going, Bit sick of Haran. I'm going to go somewhere else. Or maybe the grass is greener on the other side. Let's go, family. No, that didn't start like that. He didn't start by saying, hmm, what's at the end of the rainbow? Abraham, his journey didn't begin by sort of looking inwardly to try and find himself. Abraham responded to a reality which confronted him. And that reality was God. God comes to Abraham and speaks into his life. Abraham didn't have itchy feet. His father had itchy feet. If you know the story of Abraham's dad, his dad just sort of moved them round from place to place to place to place. Maybe it's a bit like my life. I think we've lived in seven different locations over the last eight years or something crazy like that. That was Abraham's kind of life. His dad took them round, But we're told at the end of Genesis 11 that his family, Abraham and his family, settled in Haran. But God says, I don't want you to settle there, Abraham. I want you to get up and go. So Abraham begins his journey, his life with God, by looking out to God and hearing God's voice. And God calls him by his word to follow him. And Abraham's response to God operates at two levels. One's the invisible level. It's going on inside Abraham. The other one was this external. What does he actually do in response to that? And firstly, it's that invisible response that Abraham has. Only the response that only God can see. Have a look at me at Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 on your sheet. We've got this delightfully intimate scene between the Lord and Abraham. It's a beautiful scene. The Lord takes Abraham outside. It's as if he's God takes Abraham like you'd take a little child outside to view something. Look, look at this. God takes Abraham by the hand and says, Abraham, I've got something I want to show you. God takes him outside and says, Look up to the heavens. Count the stars. So shall your offspring be. And in light of that promise that God makes to Abraham, Abraham says there, it says that Abraham believed God. Look up to the stars. How many descendants are you going to have? You can't even count the number of descendants you're going to have, Abraham. Abraham believed God. I wonder if you'd been there, what would you have seen when Abraham believed God, looking up at the stars? What would you have seen? A little nod from Abraham, a little sort of twinkle in his eye, Well, of course, we don't really know, but maybe Abraham was a charismatic. Maybe Abraham was a charismatic Christian. And so when God said, look up to the skies and you know, you're going to have so many descendants, maybe Abraham went, 100% brother, amen, I receive it. Or maybe he was a Sydney Anglican and not a muscle moved in his body. In fact, his hands were firmly wedged in his pockets. All jokes aside, it doesn't really matter how Abraham responded. The thing that happened was that he believed God. God saw something. He knew that Abraham truly trusted him. Abraham's heart gave a resounding yes to the God's promises. And God says, I declare that man, I declare Abraham righteous, right in my eyes. You know, Abraham, you know him well. He was old. He was ancient. And his wife, Sarah, was almost as ancient and old and barren, unable to have children. But inwardly, Abraham says, yes, I believe your promises, God. Everything that this man would be and do for God in the future would flow from that inward yes. But a yes came earlier, didn't it? Genesis chapter 12. And when God had said to Abraham, pack up all your belongings and leave Haran and go to the promised land where I'm going to take you, again, the same thing happened. an inward, yes, and and Abraham followed God. And then there's this second outer response from Abraham, his obedience to God's command and his obedience to follow the promises of God. God says, leave here, Abraham, Genesis 12. And what does Abraham do? He just goes. God says, later, circumcise your children. So it's a sign of the relationship that I have between you and this people. Abraham, that afternoon, circumcises your children. God says, take your only son, Isaac, the one that I promised long ago, the one that you've just given, had birth into your family, whom you love, Take him and sacrifice him as an offering to me. And what does Abraham do? The very next morning, he gets up early and goes to sacrifice Isaac. Do you notice the quality of Abraham's faith and his obedience? It's not a cautious, self-regarding, let me just make sure I've got a plan B in case everything doesn't work out kind of obedience. It's a reckless obedience, in a sense. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that when God called Abraham to go out to a place that afterwards he'd give give him an inheritance, he didn't even know where he was going, but he just went because he trusted God. He had faith in God. Would you do that? If God just called you to pack up your things and go, would you just obey God? Would you go? Would you do that? See, he goes to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac with no prior knowledge of how God will remain faithful. The long-promised son goes up. He only trusted, he trusted God that he would know what he's doing. Abraham's obedience is not limited to understanding every intricate detail of how God is going to achieve his purposes. He just knows that God is faithful and keeps his promises and so he follows God. It's radical, kind of naked obedience. You know, and you can see Abraham's obedience throughout the pages of Scripture. His life testifies to his trust in God. You know, it could be there the moment that God calls Abraham to leave Haran and go to the Promised Land, to leave his wealth, leave his security of home and earthly securities... You can see him packing the family into the Holden Commodore while the neighbours are kind of looking on going, are you crazy? Look how good you've got it. But there he goes. You can see him circumcising his children and you could see Abraham walking up Mount Moriah with Isaac behind him, with Abraham's heart being torn to shreds, no doubt, about to sacrifice his son. You could see that. Doing it all in obedience to God. Obedience and faith made visible because that ultimately, friends, is the only kind of faith that counts with God. Faith without works is dead. But for all this, Abraham's faith, faith is the lesser reality that shapes his life. Because His faith is not just faith in faith, it's faith in God. But it's a lesser reality for Abraham. It's a lesser reality in Abraham's life because it's not constant. Abraham's faith is not constant. I don't know if you can share that sort of sentiment. My faith wavers from time to time. But isn't it beautiful to know that one of the greatest characters in all of our scriptures also had a shaky faith, but was still loved by God? Abraham's faith was not constant. I have no doubt that Abraham woke up some days and had no faith in God. Or at least went through a whole day of his life where he gave no regard to God. You know, Abraham, as he's walking to the promised land, decides, oh, things aren't looking good in this direction. Let's go to Egypt instead. That's not faith. That wasn't trusting God. Here's what he says to his wife Sarah when they get to Egypt. This is basically my paraphrase. I know you're a stunning beauty, Sarah, but please say that you're my sister so they won't kill me and have you. That's not faith. Abraham exposes his wife, Sarah, to abuse in order to save himself. That's not trusting in the promises of God. And if that's not bad enough, he does it again in Genesis 20. Abraham is easily swayed by Sarah when he says, I can't have a child. Please take, take Hagar and have a child with her. That's not faith. That's not trusting in the promises of God. So Abraham's faith, as magnificent as it is, and it is magnificent, it's not reliable. It waxes and it wanes. How I can so relate to that. But the beauty of Abraham's faith is that there is a greater reality a greater reality that shapes his life. And it's God. The faithfulness of God, a faithful God. And the faithfulness of God that we're talking about is an absolute rock-steady commitment of oneself to another. You want to make sure that the one you're committing to is reliable. You know, If you're going into business, you want to kind of make sure the person you're going into business with is a reliable person. If you're going to marry someone, you want to know they're a kind of reliable person. If you're going to have a friendship with someone, same thing. But what shines through in the chapters that cover Abraham's life is the faithfulness of God. That he keeps his promises and that God absolutely committed himself to Abraham. You know, God continues to bless Abraham. You know, A man who turned his back on home, on land, on security, on all the family and earthly securities that he could have, he turned his back on all those things to follow God and God blessed him. He becomes a wealthy man. That's not the important thing. God blesses Abraham spiritually. He opens his mind to what's really going on in the world. Abraham becomes a prophet. Abraham becomes a great man of prayer. You know, God promised back in Genesis chapter 12, I will make your name great. Isn't it interesting? Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. They go, we're going to build this tower so that our, we can make our names great. Abraham comes humbly to God, and God says, I will make your name great, and his name became great, and his nation became a great nation. The fact that I'm speaking about Abraham 3,000 years later testifies that God has kept his promises. God promised him a son in his old age, and he gave him one. There was a moment when Abraham cradled a miracle in his arm. And on another day, he received that same son back from the dead. Abraham knew the faithfulness of a promise-keeping God. God promised, I'll make your nation great. I will protect you and I will lead you to the promised land. And he did all that. And even when Abraham's faith failed, even when he failed to trust God, God didn't cut him off. Just because Abraham's faith failed didn't mean it thwarted the plans of God. God preserved Abraham. He healed Abraham. He restored Abraham. God's faithfulness to his promises never fails. And God maintained his faithfulness to Abraham right through the Old Testament narrative and right to the point where the long, the great promise of God Send one who would redeem all the world from sin. One in the line coming from Abraham. Jesus Christ comes into the world. God keeps his promises. And dear friends, God remains faithful today. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He keeps his promises. The faithfulness of God was the greater reality in Abraham's life. I pray, friends, that the reality of the faithfulness of God is the greater reality in your life. It must be the greater reality in every believer's life. Not your faith in God, not my faith in God, but God's faithfulness to us. Brothers and sisters, when we by the grace of God, get to heaven. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace, for the day we get to heaven, our promised land, our home, it will not be our great faith that's in focus. It will not be my great trust in God that will be the focus. The focus of heaven will be the faithful God who has brought us to that place to be with him forever and ever. You know, we'll always face issues of security in this life. We'll always face issues of change, relocations, job changes, threats to ourselves, threat to others, threat to our families. But please know, if you've committed yourself to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are secure. His love endures forever. Great is his faithfulness. Can I encourage you? To remember Abraham and follow God. Remember Abraham, his great faith in God. But ultimately the greater reality is that we remember the God who is faithful in all circumstances. And so I can encourage you today, talk about it over morning tea. How can we as ordinary people do extraordinary things in the kingdom as we set our hopes and dreams not on things of this earth put our lives into the hands of a faithful God. Friends, let's pray and we'll sing. Father, we do pray with thanks for Abraham. Father, we pray with thanks for the man that you called him to be, an ordinary man through whom you have done extraordinary things. Father, we thank you that Abraham models to us what it means to have faith in you and be obedient to you. Father, we pray that you would help us to remain faithful to you and to obey your call upon our lives, to serve you. And Father, help us to do extraordinary things for the sake of your kingdom. But Father, as we navigate life, as we go on our journey of faith, looking forward to our home, our promised land in heaven, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, a faithful God who keeps his promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.